Hi, my name's Matt from Weekend Offender Records, and you're listening to the Punks in Pubs podcast. We are a new label based on the south coast of England, helping artists with something to say get their music released on physical media, such as CD, vinyl, and cassette, without any minimum ordering requirements, as well as being able to pay them a decent amount of level of commission that they can't make via music streaming through our Melody Ground platform. If you're a band or artist looking to release a physical product, come and see how we can help by messaging us on the Contact Us page of our website, Weekend Offender Records. If searching out music is your thing, check out some of the new releases from the Flying Alexanders, Lo-Fi Rebels, Intentional Overdose, the PCBs, and Play Mondeo, to name a few. Stay safe, because punk's not dead, it's just drunk and in lockdown. See you on the other side, and hopefully one of our live shows. Speak soon. Bye now. My name is Liam Bird and welcome to the Punks in Pubs podcast, not in a pub, but in my makeshift studio at the moment that has some big reverb issues and I don't really know why, but I suppose that's my uh, that's my cross to bear. <laughs> I hope you're all safe and well and coping the best that you possibly can in this fucked up time that we live in. <laughs> I have a few announcements before we crack on with episode 55. Uh, we are starting to sell some shit again. Nothing fancy at the moment. Uh, we just got some stickers to sell, some Punks in Pub stickers. We have over 200 of the fuckers that I want to shift on to you. We're getting rid of them for a pound each and we can post them to anywhere in the world that you live. So if you live in the UK, postage is one pound. If you live outside the UK, it will be £2.50. So two pounds total for stickers plus postage and packaging in the uk and three pound 50 for a sticker outside the uk does that make sense i hope so so essentially you can buy five stickers for five pounds and then pay one pound postage and packaging the postage and packaging won't change the price depending on how many stickers you are the postage and packaging price is the same exactly the same if i haven't confused you i've confused you even more now if you'd like to get your hand on some stickers, uh, please email punksandpubs at gmail.com because we're going to get rid of these via PayPal, so we're just going to do it directly. But we are also in the process of getting some new Punks and Pubs t-shirts. Uh, I'm lazy, so they're probably going to look exactly like the white ones, but in black this time. So please keep your eyes out for the t-shirts coming out soon. You will find out all that information first by following us on social media at Punks in Pubs on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Right, let's talk about my guest for episode 55. My guest for episode 55 is Hannah McFall. Hannah is the co-founder of And Out Come The Boobs, a company that upcycles band t-shirts for breastfeeding punk mums. They also have their own designs of maternity wear that that are readily available for you to buy. Uh, You can find their website on the description section of this podcast in your phone or if you listen to it off your laptop, there should be a link there. Yeah, so we spoke obviously about And Out Come The Boobs, but then I discovered when I was researching about Hannah that's what happens when you research people, uh, that Hannah actually comes from a punk rock family. Her dad is Colin, the lead singer in Coxsparra, and her brother is Tom, who is also the lead singer in the band Barstool Preachers. So her punk roots go quite deep. So of course we talk about them in this interview, but I wanted to stress to Hannah that this interview wasn't going to be about family, this interview was going to be about her. So what do we talk about? Well, we talk about her appearance in the UK TV game show that is the weakest link that was on tv in the year 2000s and she won walked away with a crisp 2000 pounds hannah reveals her brief flirtation with the backstreet boys during a rebellious phase Uh, we talk about growing up in east london and making that transition to living in america where she lives now and the kind of the the social differences that come from uh, being from the uk and living in america that you notice and we of course talk about punk music in particular hannah's first punk 
Uncle Love, The Clash. And finally, we get to talk about her clothing empire that is and outcome the boobs. Before we jump into this interview, I have to hang my head in shame as I didn't hit the record button right away uh, when me and Hannah started chatting via Instagram Live. Uh, Good news, I did capture the whole interview though uh, by the Instagram playback section that the Instagram have on Instagram Live. So what does this actually mean? Uh, Well, Hannah's audio is great. Uh, My audio, on the other hand, sounds like you're talking to your nan on the telephone. Uh, I did hit record at about 15 minutes, but when I listened back to that audio, Hannah's audio, for some reason, sucked. Uh, So what I decided to do is keep the Instagram audio playback. So um, Hannah sounds fantastic. I sound like I'm on the other end of a phone. It's not that big of an issue, but I'd like to apologize to you and obviously to Hannah uh, for my fuck up. Anyway, please enjoy. Enjoy episode 55 with Hannah, not in a pub, but via Instagram Live. I'll be back after my chat with Hannah to wrap a few things up. See you in a bit. Enjoy. If you want to make a move, then you better come in. It's just a ability, that reason that we're so thin. Living and dying and the stories that are true. Sink to a collapse, knowing you're through. Black or white shoes, right hand. Hopefully by the power of the internet. Pow. There you go. Check Hi. that. Hey, Hannah, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Liam. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for doing this. First off, we've got to do the obligatory, how are you doing? You okay? You coping? Yeah, we're good. We're healthy. Uh, we have the privilege to be able to work from home, so we're happy to be here with the kids. Uh, the sun is shining. We're in the, we're in the Oakland in the Bay Area. So, yeah, yeah, we can get outside. I mean, there are plenty of people in worse situations than us, put it that way. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's kind of like everyone's got their own issues and people like everyone's issues are completely different. So it's a bit unfair to layer them. But I think if you're if you've got work, like it's a good time to have work. So if you've got that, I mean, be fucking thankful because I don't know what it's like in America, but in the UK, it's pretty fucking rough at the moment. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's pretty dire. I mean. Lots of our friends, you know, are immediately out of work, especially those in the music business, like whether they're working at venues or they're, you know, in touring bands that have all been cancelled or any of that kind of stuff. That's obviously an incredibly hard situation to be in. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, we definitely don't take any of it for granted. Like, you know, counting whatever blessings to whatever punk rock warlord is looking over us this week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, well, I mean, I started. Well, so before we get started, I know that you usually do these in a pub, right? Yes, correct. So this must be hard. Like this must be a departure for you from what you're used to. So I wanted to see if we could make you feel a little bit more at home and comfortable as well. So I gathered some obligatory booze advertising. <laughs> Hang on, let's see what we can put that. Uh, I've got a drip tray here. So we nice. Can we're actually chatting over a bar. Um, I've got some peanuts of a questionable age that probably shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. I've got a terrible shandy. Well, I've got I've got my red stripe. Uh, hey. I mean, my my question has to be: Where have you stolen these from? Oh, I mean, just around my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know it's the West Ham one right there. I saw I saw the West Ham beer mat you've yeah, got there. As I was gonna say. I've got some beer mats in case you want to, in case that the conversation dies a little bit and we can play some flipsies. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way you're, the way you're already prepared for this interview to be shit. That, that's no, perfect. No, no. I guess we don't know each other, you know. Exactly. See, see how you can break the ice in any way, shape or form. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, cheers. It's, cheers to you. Thank you so much. Um, well, what I was going to say, actually, because... When I originally reached out to you, I wanted to talk to you about Ang Outcome the Booze because that's how I kind of knew your world. And then when I started doing a bit more digging, I realized actually, oh shit, actually, there's a lot to Hannah. Um, obviously, about your family and the punk like history you've got there. But also, something I was interested in is um, the fact you also got a degree in political science and you've put that to quite 
good use working for justice now so if you don't mind we can talk about that if you don't mind later on yeah. but the main thing i think we need to talk about is the weakest link and the fact that you <laughs> won that <laughs> that wasn't what i thought you were gonna say yeah wow well, I mean, now I want to know what you thought I was going to say. Um, but yeah, The Weakest Link, you won The Weakest Link. I did. I How was the youngest was... person in the UK at the time to have won The Weakest Link. Um, how did you find out? Why? And how was Anne Robinson? Was she such a nasty piece of work that she made out to be? Yeah, I mean, she's playing a role right up until the end when she came up and she was like, oh, I think you might be the youngest person we've ever had with. Um, no, I was at university and like a lot of people doing an undergrad, like really bored and spent a lot of time in the pub. And I love quizzes and quiz machines and general knowledge and all of that kind of stuff. And um, a friend of mine's ex was on it and we were watching it and we were like, ah, he's shit. We could do better than him. I'm allowed to swear on this, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've already <laughs> dropped a couple of F-bombs, so you're good. <laughs> but yeah, so he's like, oh, no, you're pretty good at general knowledge. You should apply. So I did, and, and I went to the interview or, like, the audition, and I guess, like, I didn't have pink and blue hair at the time, but there was something else weird going on. Like, I, I triggered enough of an interest that they were like, yeah, we'd like you to come on the show. But, like, it's a total fix. Like, they asked, I did a political science degree, and they all my questions were about, like, politics or London. And I was like, okay, they're the two things you think I know about. Cool. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, so. So, so essentially, what you're saying is it was it was fixed, and that you won by uh, putting a bung into someone. I don't know. I, I mean, playing well, play to my strengths. Like, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, being the youngest person there, there was definitely a lot of underestimation going on. So, like, no one hmm. voted me off because no one saw me as a threat. Idiots. Um, <laughs> Society, eh? Yeah, but yeah, I got <laughs> to just under two grand, and it managed to clear quite a big overdraft that I had at the time. I bought a new pair of boots. I got around at the bar. And that was it. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's that's worth this worth this chat already. I'm telling you. Um, so, uh, you live in America now, but like I kind of touched on that you do actually have quite a punk background in the fact that your father and also your brother. Um, so your father, who is the uh, Colin, is it Colin? Sorry. I'm really bad with names. Yeah. Colin in, in um, Cox Sparrows and then your brother in uh, Barstool Preachers got there. Um, but I, I'm not really going to touch on them because this interview is more about you and that's what I want to talk about. But what I am interested in knowing was, was your house constant music? And if it was, was it punk music or were you playing like um, Shirley Bassey? Was it like a, a huge collective Shirley Bassey is the first person who came to my head with a first collective <laughs> music in the house. Yeah, it was it was a very like hands-on music house. Like the record collection, my, my parents' record collection was there to be like looked over and mauled, slightly mauled over. Um, we definitely grew up listening to a lot of Stax and like Tamla Motown. Um, my mum's a really big like soul fan, particularly of like big divas. So we grew up with a lot of Aretha Franklin. We grew up with uh i mean tina turner prince that kind of side of things in addition to like punk and rock and roll um and, mm. the, and like the rock side of things in some ways was also more than more more of what we listened to than than the punk stuff growing up you know it was a lot of led zeppelin and david bowie and um acdc stuff like that cornerstone stuff you know yeah so i mean with that house full of, of music and you've got like your dad who's who's in a seminal punk band and as you grow up, when you're rebelling, did you rebel against the rebellion music by start listening to like S Club 7 and like Backstreet Boys and go, fuck you, dad, this is real music? It's funny you should mention the Backstreet Boys. I actually drove my dad to distraction one day. I remember I was like, we used to redecorate our bedroom quite a lot, me and my sister. And so like, I remember paint, sanding, sanding a uh, skirting board and listening to one Backstreet Boys track over and over and over again, him just walking in and going, anything else? Like anything else, is there a B side? What, what? Yeah, so that was a very short-lived flirtation. But I mean, pop music is 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 incredibly good music when it's done right, you know. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot to be said for seeing the appreciation in bands who are incredibly good songwriters and who can like write pop music. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't knock it. <laughs> Everyone loves a bit of Britney Spears every so often, you know. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna diss it. <laughs> I just this wanted to get you on record saying. You know? Usually, when, when when you're pissed, you don't care. If if a <laughs> tune is going, I am dancing. Um, so, 
then so when was obviously punk is 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 mainly your vibe i'm guessing but so what was the artist that kind of grabbed your attention instantly and you went fuck like who is this and where can i get more of it um the, the clash have always been the band for me that like installed my my navigation system in me you know everything from like the politics to you know how you treat each other how you treat people um how you look after each other and like encourage people to come and bring your own bit of weird to punk like all of that i found in the clash um i don't know if there was ever a moment where i was like i really need to go out and find more of this because as you said it was kind of a lot of all around us um i definitely have like really vivid memories of being an early teenager with a walkman on the bus on the way home from school and just like with the greatest hits and turning it over and turning it over and turning it over again and like that's how i would pass the time was listening to listening to that greatest hits and I'm, I'm, in some ways i didn't like break down the albums until i was old enough to buy my own records and actually like, yeah, buy them and see which tracks belonged to which bit because in the beginning it was just like here's the clash as a whole you know so um songs like uh complete control and white riot always like from the instant that grabbed me like it definitely took me a little bit of time to get to love sandinista and some of the deeper cuts on that and whatever but like there's no for me there's nothing about the clash that isn't interesting like everything about like them as a as people and as a band for me like just give me a bit of fire underneath me they make me want to go out and do good shit in the world so i'm you know, always going to return to them as like a, a jumping off point for me you know so even at a young age then like the idea of politics in your music was already in in your mind of like this is resonating with me because these are kind of bringing different political beliefs or maybe new political beliefs or the beliefs that you already had in existence in your brain i think there's a certain amount of like when you hear things that articulate some of the things you see around you it makes it a lot more real and i think for me you know i grew up in east london i was born in 1984 so like i i became sort of politically aware if you like watching the news first gulf war and the ira bombings in london and so that was kind of an interesting background to to listen to the clash too like too really um you know we're coming off the back of like the, the poll tax movement in the 80s and and off the back of a thatcher government like that's the kind of growing up the politics that i saw around me when i was growing up you know i had friends that grew up in big tower blocks and i had friends whose dad made a shit ton of money very quickly in the 80s who knows which bank they held up but whatever and they lived in like big old houses mm. like in east london so that inequality was always there around me and it was always money-based you know it was always class-based equality because i'm you know i'm white i didn't that wasn't race wasn't part of my growing up but it was only you know i saw what i saw around me in my bubble you know and the clash definitely put words to that and put songs to that and and encouraged me to go out and find more people that you know were also motivated by those same sort of values um and that's when yeah. i kind of started digging more into punk in an east london school it would have been multicultural um did you discover different kind of music uh so we obviously in that time would have been hip-hop would have been a huge thing going on then did you ever dabble with hip-hop and like with run dmc beastie boys yeah i love all that stuff but like for us in east london at that point it was all garage so it's all garage yeah. MCs. so everybody that i know if you ever do you know the band you know knuckle dust and algy bargy the drummer ray from those two like he and i every once in a while will get together and be like do you remember that song that used to go bam for the bam bam like and all these garage sticks, like. <laughs> anyway um yeah that was what was around me growing up and so like 
friends' birthday parties and whatever, that's what we would go to. That yeah. Kind of stuff. Friends from school. So did, yeah. were you ever, so when you were going to school then, were you, were you kind of already expressing yourself through your music in, in your style, like your hair or with piercings and stuff like that? And if you were, were you getting into trouble because of it? Um, my, we were, our school was really strict on school uniform like for all the Americans watching like school uniform doesn't mean we went to a posh school or a private school or a <laughs> school. It just means we went to school but like my school was really hot on it so even if you came in with a slightly different shade of hair colour they were like you're going home you're suspended for a few days like it was that level of nonsense so it was like one day a year or two days a year on non-uniform days that you could like really express who you were and I, um, I've got this really clear memory of being about 14 and wearing a Green Day vest that I'd saved up my pocket money to go and buy, underneath that, this little black dress that I'd nicked from my mum, over some stripy top socks, over some fishnets, and it was like the most punk outfit I could have put together as a 14-year-old with no no income, you know. Um, and I had my hair in, like, tiny little, like, top knots. And I remember walking past this guy, and he went to me, you're funny, what have you come as? this is how i feel best you know this is how i feel most this is me you've reduced me to like nothing in a, in a comment i don't want you to have that power over me so that was definitely like i've remembered it i've clearly internalized that for a few years <laughs> <laughs> this is but all yeah, therapeutic now. here and there when i could like i got my first tattoos at 16 and then did more piercings than tattoos for a few years. Sorry, mum. But yeah, like, I've always dabbled, dabbled with hair colour and um, it's definitely always been a part of expressing who I am. I think that like, I don't really have, like, I'm not an artist. I can't express my creative side that way. And I'm not a, a, a musician. I don't write music and I don't write lyrics or anything like that. But yeah, I definitely do enjoy like playing with hair colour and playing with appearance and, and that side of things. I think it's a really interesting way to express yourself and how you're feeling sometimes. So did you never dabble? <laughs> yeah. So did you never dabble like with a guitar or a drum kit or anything? Did you just think, fuck, this ain't for me? No, I played the cello. Of course so you much, did. So much <laughs> for, punk, for cello in punk music. And my mum was like, stick with it. You could be on stage with Gabrielle in Top, in top of the Pops too. And I'm like, don't think this is for me. Don't think the cello is for me. <laughs> Yeah, okay. have, have you have you have you kept up with that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 the sort of person that um I am very, very happy being <clears throat> in the shower. I'm very, very happy jumping up on stage and doing half a half a verse with someone. Like I've done it with the Bustle Preachers and a few other bands over different bits and pieces here and there. Um but yeah, like I'm not it's not that person. Um I'm no. not that person in the band. No. I'm a professional <laughs> supporter of punk music not creator of and that's okay I hope, that, I hope that's on your cv um so do you remember <laughs> the, do you remember your first gig then it wasn't like your, your father's like do you remember going to a gig completely on your own and experiencing like just a circle pit or uh, or people just fucking slamming into each other what were you thinking like holy shit what the fuck is that or were you like i i need to get in that that is amazing yeah, there was a certain amount of like, I've seen this before and I've not been allowed to go anywhere near it. Right. How do I get right to the middle of that and experience it? Definitely. Um, there were a few all dayers at Brixton Academy um, that I remember really distinctly happening when I was about 16 on a, on a Sunday. I also remember going to one of those all dayers at Brixton and uh, still on a bender from the night before and falling asleep during one of the opening bands. And when I woke up, people around me had covered me in cups and crisp packets and other kinds of bits of rubbish. Um, it's all character building this. Um, <laughs> but no, it was great. I, like, I have some really great memories associated with all of that. It was like um, definitely feeling a little bit like let off the leash. Like, right, there's no there's no bands playing that we know today. Right, brilliant. I'm gonna really get messed up. Yeah, that kind mm. of level of nonsense. I mean, you spoke about how the fact you're not artistic, but I would disagree because you you've done quite a bit of writing. Like, you I've I've read a bit of your blogs that you, that you've got on your website. Uh, going from, um, I'm, I'm going to read my notes here. Does wearing makeup make you any less of a feminist, or what came first, the woman, uh, woman of the sex? I'm oh, sorry, what came first, the woman or the sex worker? And then from the other end of the spectrum was you talking about going to your first baseball game and your love and discovering offspring Americana for the first time. I mean, that's 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 a range. That, that's I've a true really range. Eclectic stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've written. I've I've written 
um throughout my life in various forms and professionally like before before i started out from the boobs you know i was a communications professional for nonprofits and for charities and that's what i did in london before i moved here too so writing has always been something that uh, i've enjoyed and yeah i've definitely written all kinds of things i mean i wrote for uh louder than war john robb's uh blog site i wrote for that for a while um and i wrote for west ham till i die which is a west ham uh like members only fan site i wrote a few blogs for them um i had a few bits on the huffington post as well i just you know people would say like oh do you want to write this and i'd be like yeah okay well i read about your i read the uh huff posts about you going to america and realizing that oh shit football times are completely ridiculous like the difference in 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 the, in the time zone of watching west ham at like 9 a.m or 6 a.m or whenever they were playing and then just going well this is this is this is wank um i mean as a, I, I purposely wore my forest top today as well. That's right. To give you a, give you a, a little glimpse of English football for you. I mean, have you found something to fill that void? Like, if you become like an NFL fan or baseball fan? Uh, we still do try and watch as many games, you know, as, as we can. Like, it's actually easier to watch the games on the TV here than it is for my dad to watch the games on the TV at home, which is ridiculous. Cheaper as well. Um, so I get up with the kids and watch the games at like six in the morning or seven in the morning. But I don't have a beer with the game anymore, which is what I did, used to do when I think I wrote that article. Like, no, there's a, there's a really big supporters scene out here in the Bay Area. Um, if you're an Arsenal fan in particular, there seems to be a lot of people and they all will get together at a pub and have a beer and, and watch the game. And it's at seven in the morning. Um, it's bizarre, but it's a fun way to start your day. Um <laughs> But no, no, I do. We we are a baseball family. Like my husband is a massive baseball fan, massive Red Sox fan. So um, we've been to we go to a number of games every season and like watch watch games here at home. It doesn't feel it does, it's not the same. Like fans of opposing teams can sit together. That's ridiculous for me. Yeah. Um, there's no one saying like if you're wearing these colours, you're not allowed in this pub. That's ridiculous to me. Um, I basically want more hooliganism in baseball, and then. <laughs> As as being a West Ham fan, I feel I feel that's like part of the stipulation, isn't it? If if no one's getting cut, what the fuck is this? This ain't sport. Exactly. Uh, Who's your firm, and why do you think you should be allowed to sit next to us? I don't think so. Jog on. <laughs> um, I mean, I must admit, I'm I'm a big I, I I've been fortunate enough to go to a few sports events in America and. I'm a fan of like the build-up that they create when you go to a game, like the, the, the like so for like tailgating in NFL. I've been fortunate enough to go to like a, one in New Orleans, and I loved it. I loved the whole community aspect of it. But you're right. When you get in the stadium, I shouldn't be sat next to like a, an Atlanta Falcon fan. Like, get away from me. <laughs> you should be that way. And I want to sing songs about your mum. Like, yeah, yeah that, exactly. that's a. It's a bit more impactful if I'm singing songs about your mum and you're right, you're sitting right next to me and offering me one of your nachos. Like it doesn't quite feel the same. <laughs> I must admit, quickly a story though. Um, I, I'm keep name dropping cities I've been to, and I don't mean to, but I was in Philadelphia because my friend was doing a. It was, he's an orthopedic surgeon out there, and I went to visit him. Um, and we went, and I, I don't know if you know this, but Philly fans aren't the nicest, and particularly to British people. Uh, they still got like a fucking bugbear about what happened years ago. And it was like, it wasn't me, mate. Um, so I was cutting through to go and get some food. And then I came back the same way. And he, and I said, oh, I'm really sorry, mate. And he's like, you're not sorry. And I went, oh, actually, I'm really not, but I'm British. So I'm just going to apologize for everything. Can I just please get through? And he's like, oh, you're just, he's like, you're just fucking bugging me now, man. I'm like, mate, like, just let me go past. And then this is going to be over. You can continue to watch your shitty team. I don't understand ice hockey. I'm just here for the food, mate. Just let me go sit back on my friends. But that, that just made me chuckle and made me think, think of that. Um, so I, I've kind of lost track where we were. We went on a big uh, uh, sport pinch. I'm really um, happy to go on a big sports tangent. It's all good. <laughs> do you miss talking about football? Like, Do you yeah. have your collective of people who you can talk about football with? Yeah, it's, it's funny because when people like, the people that are into premiership teams over here like, tend to be really into them. So they know bizarre facts and statistics that I have no idea anything about. And they'll say like, oh, well, this com compares to this season that West Ham had, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you talk about yeah. it differently than I do. Um, yeah, no, I, we do. <laughs> um, I still talk about it a little bit with my folks, like, obviously with my family. Um, 
but yeah, we do we do have like friends over here who who are fans, and yeah, they're really into it. Um, so it's a different conversation. There's also a different like approach to the um, the idea of winning. That's the best way I can say this. Uh, yeah, like prizes for for participation kind of stuff. Um, the self-deprecation of, of English football fans or like, oh, you know, don't count your chickens. Like, we've only we've only gone 3-0 up. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Whereas my American friends are like, isn't that great? That's fucking incredible. And I'm like, it's all right, mate. But we've got another 60 minutes to play. Like, keep your knickers on. Do you know West Ham? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're West Ham. We're definitely going to lose in the 90 minute. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a certain amount of that. Yeah, good old optimism in America. And then you need that proper pessimism of start of the season, you lose your first game. Well, what the fuck is the point? America then I, I think you kind of touched on it a second ago you, did you move over with your husband then is that why you're stateside yeah I met my husband at punk and disorderly um in 2009 in Berlin but he was actually there because he owns a company that makes vinyl records and had been visiting the pressing plant in the Czech Republic and then had come on to Berlin um to see uh Cox Barrow and to, to hang out with them and he actually had known them from a time when he was interning at another record label and they'd come out to tour the States in 2000. So he met them when he was 18 and sold their merch and they gave him like a beer underage and that kind of thing. Um, and so we met at Punk and Disorderly and um, stayed in touch and were friends, you know, for a year or so and then happened to be in the same place and got to get it together. And then a year later, we were like, we should probably live in the same continent, see if this is, <laughs> you know, worth pursuing. Um, at that time, I was living in Myland, um, um, working for um, a, non a charity, a non-profit called the Howard League for Penal Reform. So doing like campaign work for them. Um, I was really heavily involved in like local campaigning with the local Labour Party. And um, I had lots of friends who were like running for elections. So I spent a lot of time traveling the country and helping out with their campaigns and like door knocking for them. Um, and then it was like, well, OK, let's let's um, see if this is a thing. This is the real thing, this relationship. Um, and there's kind of only two ways to come to America or before all this shit. So who knows what that's going to look like after <laughs> this. Um, but like you can either marry someone or you can go back to university. But American universities are not cheap, um, especially if, if you're coming as an international graduate student. So I just looked for whatever was the cheapest master's program in the Bay Area and applied to that and got in. And so that I got my master's in political science, writing a thesis on gender and democracy and um, the way that different women candidates code different things on their websites and that kind of stuff it's all really tech and boring stuff um but it's how i got my visa to be out here and then when my visa ran out we got married sounds good how, how did you find the transition then because like british culture to american culture people believe actually that just because we speak the same language it's the same but i know firsthand that it's, it's not it is, it is vastly different did you find it easy to kind of um blend yourself into the american way of life or did you struggle there's a lot of code switching you know like not just hmm. even in vocabulary um but just in uh the the way that you you know approach talking about certain things um that was definitely like a, a learning curve um yeah no c words oh the amount of faces like you said what yes <laughs> she is a cunt say it again um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's obviously a transition when you move anywhere. I was very lucky to move somewhere where I knew some people already, so it never felt like I was that isolated. Um, I definitely had a lot of people looking out for me and and making sure that you know that I was doing okay and that I was 
happy in this relationship I'd moved 6,000 miles away to be in, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. It's, it continues to be hard, you know. I'm, I'm definitely not an American. My kids are American, yeah. and we joke about that. Um, you know, mommy says it like this, but she's not American. No, I'm not. Um, yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's definitely always a... a um, not a struggle, but like every once in a while, you are made aware of the fact that you're not from here, or like you're made of fact mm. aware of the fact that like you grew up somewhere, somewhere else, or like you don't have those same um, childhood and teenage experiences, you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, like I'd never hit a pinata till last year, and that's like a really big California thing. Like every kid growing up in California has a pinata at their birthday, and I'd never hit one till a couple of years ago or last year. So people were like, "Oh my god, you've got to get a pinata." But from East London, you can go, well, you've never stabbed someone. So, uh, like. (laughs) (laughs) You shut down a warehouse Raven Hackney at 5am? I mean, neither. Yeah. (laughs) So, what was your, like, obviously, I I believe you probably went touring with your father when he came to America. But, like, when you were going to a show, do you notice a difference from going to a show in America from when you were going to shows in the UK? Yeah, right. The biggest thing, and I didn't notice this for about a year, is that you don't wear the shirt of the band that you're going to see in America on to the gig. You absolutely don't, Mac. It's a it's a serious faux pas. Like if you turn okay. up, if you turn up to um to an off with a head gig in an off with a head shirt, people look at you and go, "You're from Europe." <laughs> really. So, is yeah, it because it's just tryhards? Is that is that the way you see it? It's just too much that's of a tryhard. That's over here, yeah. It's like, oh, it's Uber fan, you know. <laughs> I just like, love the band. Like, I think my husband once described it to me as like, you know, you're going to a show and there's going to be other people there who like the band you're going to see. So, like, you rep someone else being like, oh, and then maybe they'll see it and say like, oh, I don't know that band that that random person in the crowd is wearing. Oh, look them up. I mean, you can tell how... That sounds like the most hipster thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm going to wear a t-shirt that's so obscure that someone's going to come to me and go, oh, I really like your t-shirt. And you go, you won't get it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, he, he, works, he works in the music industry. Like, his brain works in these ways. You know, like, how many different different ways can I get, like, the name of this band out there? And, you know, if it, if it helps wearing their shirt to someone else's gig, so be it. But, no, I mean, there is, there is obviously a difference. Um, in going to gigs like i have to say the the role that like alcohol plays in definitely my experience of the, of of growing up in the punk scene in in the uk compared to going to shows over here it's very different um obviously like unless you're in a city that you probably got a drive to and from the show so there's definitely that like thing to factor in um pits are different um uh, just as a, an observation you know like california is definitely a circle pit place um and the uk is not not the, the shows that i was going to were not necessarily like you run a circle you just like smash into each other um yeah. and like watching california bands in europe sometimes they're like open this pit run a circle and everyone just looks at each other like nope you know so but there, there are there are subtle differences like that too so let's kind of uh, subtly uh, move to uh, your your business. Uh, so how did you meet April then, your business partner? She uh, is married to um, a friend of my husband's from high school who they now work together at Pirates Press. Um, and she moved up to the Bay Area um, just as uh, just before we were going to get married a few years back. And she is just one of the nicest, warmest, sweetest people you could ever meet. And she's been dressmaking and making clothes her entire life. Like she's one of the best uh, tailors and, you know, alterers of clothes that I've ever met. Um, and yeah, she's just a, a really lovely person. And um, I was moaning to her one day about how terrible, you know, nursing shirts were and breastfeeding shirts were and how they didn't cater to anyone outside of the mainstream and all this kind of stuff. And, and she was like, well, why don't you give me some of your shirts and I'll see what I can do. So we kind of just went from there, really. Um, we tried like three or four different prototypes and different designs to see the best way to like alter shirts that are already existing rather than like making anything from scratch. Um, and they were they were amazing. She then had another baby. So she then tested another bunch and like we refined it a little bit more. Um, and then we figured if we felt like that and it was that impactful on the way we felt about ourselves and the way we felt about our bodies and um 
having a little bit of control over ourselves when everything around you is changing and everything is on its end you know um if we could give that to some other punk mums in our situation then then we should you know so mm. um yeah two years ago we kind of launched with i think 10 shirts and like two of them had been given to me by my dad or i'd nicked off of him um we just we scrounged the first few you know we were like i wonder if anyone else does give a shit about this so we put together like a little collection and they sold so quickly that we were like oh shit okay um so yeah so now we print some of our own um as well um we continue to upcycle shirts because i think that there's enough fast fashion out there um that we don't need to be creating everything from scratch i think that there's so much waste in the fashion industry that if we can do our part to reduce some of that i think that you know that's a good good thing um yeah and we also have a custom shirt service as well so people can send us their shirts that they already have so say it's like they're banned from school or like the you know limited edition tour shirt from you know a tour they really loved or whatever um they can send that to us or they can say like oh i really want this this shirt or this this band in the shirt so we find it for them so yeah it's just about like trying to help folks feel a little bit um more like themselves you know yeah and I think that plays a huge plays a huge. This is me talking as a man talking about women. <laughs> but um, I, I so the reason I'm going to say is because I used to work at Comic Relief in the UK. And for people who don't know, Comic Relief is a national charity that um, raises money for predominantly Africa, but they also do UK um, uh, uh, work as well. And one of the things I was working on, I was I was doing a, a radio project for uh, women who had who had suffered from um, postnatal depression. And one of the things that they spoke about was the fact that they resented their child because they couldn't wear the clothes that they loved. And that she had this real hatred because of this. And I wondered if, you, if that's ever, like, you ever had a comment from anyone saying, like, you've helped me with my own mental health because I can wear that T-shirt that I've loved all my life. And, and you've given me the ability to be able to do that now. Yeah, we've def- I mean, I don't... We've definitely had feedback from customers that have said that they were more comfortable wearing, you know, our shirts going out and about or going to shows or going to festivals or, and it felt something, it felt good to have something that they could wear that made them feel like maybe a little bit of their pre-baby self, but there was also functional like for their new role as a parent and as a breastfeeding parent. Um, Yeah. It's the the reasons for like postpartum depression and postnatal depression are many layered and, and very complex um but your relationship with your body changes so much during that time of pregnancy and then having a baby and then you know feeding the baby for however long you both choose to um it's definitely about giving folks the ability to feel um like they're a bit, little bit more in control or make you know making sure that they feel like they can connect with that person who was you know that person that they were before they had a kid so, yeah. yeah hopefully so- that does make people feel you know like a bit more like themselves so do you remember the first person who bought a shirt from you and like do you have you like framed their receipt or anything like that <laughs> we were joking when we put the first collection out actually but neither of us are blink on two fans but we figured that we it, it'd probably sell and like someone uh, we'd found a blink on two shirt so we said oh and we had like a jockey murphy's one and like an agnostic front we had like some really cool like bands that we were fans of um and we were like the first one that goes is that blink 182 one and it was like it went like (laughs) seconds after we put it up and we were like okay that tells us you know we can learn from this so how do you go from okay we've got this great idea we know we've got an audience and then start upscaling it to whereabouts you go well actually okay this could now become like a real entrepreneur business how do you make those steps you i mean you you take advice like you do with anything in life really i think um we are at a situation where we both have very small children and parenting is our full-time gig 
for both of us, like out from the boobs is something that we do because we love it, um, but also something because we do see the potential in a few years time. Um, we've, you know, we've sat down and we've worked out a five year, like where do we want to be and how many shirts do we want to be working with and how many parents do we want to be connecting with at that point and how do we get there? Um, and we've done some, you know, some business mentoring courses and that kind of stuff. I mean, I come, as I said, I come from the world of like charity, non-profits. Um, the idea of making a profit is not something that I'm, you know, is in my, in my professional wheelhouse. Um, so for me, like, it, it's just, it's, it's a whole new, it's exciting to learn a new skill and a new set of skills and to apply what you've learned in a different sector to a whole new thing, you know. Hmm. Well, on that subject, then, I mean, hanging around with bands and the whole DIY punk ethic, has that helped you in your business sense of of how you've how you've grown your, your business? Yeah, massively. I think that we're in a situation where um, we are able to make kind of like good decisions. Um, you know, but now we're like two and a half years in. So the decisions that we're making are, are based on like what we've learned about what people want from our shirts and, and what people want from us as a business um but yeah there's definitely a lot of like diy attitude that runs throughout everything you know um i think you the whole idea of like upcycling shirts and customizing shirts and and making things fit to you rather than you fitting in anything in like you know the conformity of of mainstream clothing like that's a huge punk you know ethos that runs throughout everything we do Mm. um recognizing that people are individuals and that people come in more sizes and shapes than like just what you can buy at the big department shops you know um we try and run like a really big size range because you know folks need options parents need options um Mm. so recognizing that a little bit too um yeah we're we're kind of like an umbrella for for all the the weird freaks geeks and and punks and alternative folks really like we've done a a sci-fi and nerdcore collection of shirts we had like a bunch of different fantasy shirts in there we do some like uh more militant intersectional feminist shirts we we do some uh we've done some sports shirts so like it's it's a range of people it's it's recognizing that like you know we all wear these different hats like as a sports fan as a movie fan as a you know sci-fi fan all of those things i am personally and so we want to make sure people have got the options to express themselves that way you know has any band approached you to make like a, a a range for them to sell on tour or anything like that yeah, we partnered last year with the Ramums, who are from uh, the East Coast, from um, who are like a mu- Ramones uh, mums. They're not a cover band; they're like a tribute band. They kind of, they write their own versions of Ramones songs, and so we did a series yeah. for those. And then, if you're familiar with the band War on Women, um, we're in the process of putting together a collection for them as well. So they will be available on their website um, shortly. I'm not sure exactly when, but um, we're sending oh. them out. Back the band this week so yeah i mean it's definitely something that we'd like to explore more um working with bands to kind of say like hey we're selling your shirts you know you could be mm. selling your shirts customized for breastfeeding um work mm. with us and we'll we'll work out a way to to do them for you you know so yeah it's awesome it, it, there should be more bands who are recognizing that like you know that's a that's a that's a shirt that they could be selling definitely and 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 for you what what makes a good what makes a good band shirt then like what for you is your go-to for a band shirt do you like minimalistic or do you like the ones where bands have gone balls out a lot of prints i'm not really about subtle that often um <laughs> so yeah i'm definitely for like, like big bold graphics i mean i there's so like, i think seeing let me start that again seeing like how bands go about making merch and how much passion and energy and time and love goes into like designing shirts and printing shirts and making it sure that they're right for their fans and all of that kind of stuff like it does seeing that side of the industry does give me so much of more of a level of respect for the shirts that we work with you know like we could absolutely just butcher every single one and be like ah we'll put a zip here we'll put a zip here you know the functionality of breastfeeding is more important but actually it's not and that's like that's a real fine line that we tread it's like how do we not ruin this shirt how do we make sure that Mm. it still looks good as a shirt um from you know so people can wear it zipped up like like this one you know this one's got zippers in um but you can do that in a way where it works with the design rather than like ruining it you know yeah so kind of moving away from the shirt and, and more about the act of breastfeeding, do you, do you think it's, a, it's still a taboo subject matter for people to talk about and, and still do in, the, in, in public? So like coffee shops or restaurants or wherever you need to feed your child? Yeah, I think, I mean, 
it doesn't matter seem to matter whether it's america whether it's europe whether it's the uk you know like there there are um struggles that breastfeeding parents have to do it in public and to feel safe doing it in public there's something really vulnerable or that like makes you feel incredibly vulnerable when you are breastfeeding and you've got a boob out and you've got your newborn you get very mama bear and then someone comes over and starts to tell you something like there's a level of vulnerability that is you don't get with other situations it's quite bizarre um because you do instinctively want to tell them all to piss off and mind their own business. But then at the same time, you've got a boob out and you've been taught the whole life that you didn't have a boob out and have conversations with people, you know, especially when they can't make eye contact. So yeah, the whole, the whole situation, yeah, is, is, it's not, we're not at a point where people can breastfeed their kids or chest feed or pump or do whatever they need to do wherever they can, you know? Um, I think in some some respects, I was incredibly lucky to be in the Bay Area when I was breastfeeding a lot. And, you know, it is definitely more, um, you see like signs up in shops that being breastfeeding friendly and that kind of stuff here. Um, but yeah, but I also feel like I'm the kind of person who definitely eyeballed people who were eyeballing me and like gave them like a, a, a stare and people tended to back down. So I never actually had anyone say anything directly to me in the the years that I was breastfeeding with my kids um yeah there's definitely I, I, do, I do wonder if like it, it, you know if in different circumstances if I hadn't have been the person to like stand my eyeball ground you know whether someone would have asked me to cover up or something like that um yeah it's it, we get told by our customers and by other folks we know of, of situations where they're on the end of harassment and being told to go and feed their babies in toilets and that, that sort of stuff so it hasn't gone anywhere you know the support mm. for new parents learning to breastfeed you know is so far down the list of both the uk government and the american government's prior priorities of where their money goes you know like if we continue to see funding cuts to you know local community support groups and you know not being able to see lactation consultants because you can't get anywhere for like 20 miles like all of that kind of stuff contributes to people not breastfeeding their kids for the like the long enough time not or not long enough but like the time that they want to you know all of those are contributory factors and there's a lot that you know that society could be doing much better to support parents who want to feed their kids mm. um obviously i've got nothing to add to that <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I mean what i wanted to talk to talk about quickly before we have to wrap up is your work uh, with justice now um am i right in saying that you are the co-director of that organization I was, yeah. Um, okay. I I was uh, a volunteer and an intern, and obviously had had experience in the UK uh, working for nonprofits, um, uh, working within the prison system. And when I was doing my masters out here, I started working with them as a volunteer and as an intern, and um, was in a situation where they had some leadership who were transitioning out of the leadership. Uh, team and they needed someone to step in to a role and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time um, Justice Now is a, a human rights and, and legal advocacy organisation that works with people in women's prisons here in California and um, one of the things that we were working on at the time that I was there was the uncovering of a number of forced sterilisations that had happened in California women's prisons to people that were going through childbirth or who had gone to see the you know, see the doctor about a different um, gynecological issue. So, you know, um, that was obviously incredibly, um, uh, I was incredibly fortunate to be learning from the leaders within the, like the reproductive justice and, and prison abolition and prison rights movement at that time. Um, I learned some incredible, um, some incredible things from some folks who are, you know, organizing against this kind of injustice within prisons themselves. Um, and I feel very fortunate to have, to have done that work. Um, the reason that I talk about that is that actually there's about to be a documentary released on that um, and the work that we did. Um, and it's going to be premiered um, in June at the Human Rights Watch film premiere. And then it's going to go on to um, PBS over here. So I don't know what I don't know if it'll make it to the UK show, but it's called The Belly of the Beast. And it's about how um, the California prison system systematically you know took reproductive rights away from women of color and masculine presenting folks and people that they just deemed you know to be in a situation where they shouldn't have any more children you know so mm. um the the work that we did you know got laws passed and got changes made and made sure that um you know people's reproductive freedoms were protected a little like to a certain extent 
um, that work hasn't gone away. It's still ongoing. Um, there's still some incredible organisations doing that kind of work, um, led by people with lived experience and who've got personal experience of, you know, being at the hands of being, having that kind of torture at the hands of the state. So, um, yeah, it was a really like the role that I played in all of that was so minimal, but I feel really lucky to have been there at that time. If people wanted to find out a little bit more about that work, where can they go to? Where, where can you point them in the direction of? Um, I think the Belly of the Beast documentary, um, which is specifically about the, you know, the, the sterilization that took place, um, has like a brand new website and a brand new social media accounts. And, and I highly recommend people to go and find those and support those. Justice Now as an organization has changed quite a lot in the last few years. That um, is my understanding. I haven't, um, as I said, haven't been working there as a staff member for four years, three years now, three and a half years. So it's been a while. Okay. Um, so lastly, uh, I read that in 2018, you had a, uh, a New Year's Eve wish of, uh, sorry, a New Year's wish of that uh, Lars Fredrickson will wear one of your shirts. <laughs> did, you, did you achieve that? Did you get that to happen? No, we don't make them big enough. It's funny, like when you start a company called Now Come the Boobs, um, the first question people ask is like, do Rancid know? Um, and I've actually, I've, I've, I've got the blessing, you know, of I've never asked Brandon, but the other three are like, this is really funny. So, no, I've never seen Lars. I, I, Lars doesn't have one of our shirts, as far as I know. Um, he's more than welcome to, though. I'm happy to give him one. Um, but no, him, Matt, and Tim have all, like, said to me, yeah, That's well good. That's you're good. okay. You're okay now, girl, that kind of thing. <laughs> so what musician would you like to see wear your shirt, then? If Lars isn't doing it, who do you want to see wearing one of your shirts? Um, there's so many fantastic musicians that probably, you know, might be in a position at one point to use it for actually breastfeeding. So that would be pretty awesome. Um, mm. We definitely have had. Um, it's it's funny though, like because like you you want to ask people to share photographs of them using your shirts, but it's also like you're asking people to share their boobs on the internet. So it's a very it's a very careful line. Um, yeah, and also when you when you're feeding a kid, a lot of the time, like you don't you're not in a position to take a photo, you know, or like um feel good about what you look like at that particular time so um yeah definitely um having our shirts in use by musicians i think that that's the next like wish list that i've got good 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 well thank you so much hannah for taking time to chat with me it's been really fun uh i hope i I, my pleasure and um i wish you all the best for the future and whenever you're back in the uk i hope we can have another chat this time with real beer and we can be in an East, Lon- East London pub. We can have someone shouting abuse at us and it's all proper home. It'd be really nice. I was going to convince my four-year-old to walk in and see if we wanted to buy an electric toothbrush at any point, just to make sure that we <laughs> have a real authentic pub feel. Like, I've got an electric yeah. toothbrush and an Apple, and a, you know, Apple TV for sale. Yeah. But... Some, some knockoff <laughs> Korean DVDs would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank, you, thank you again. And uh, yeah, all the best. Be safe and be well. You too. Thanks very much. When we were at school, I thought he had his ass. Fighting the law with the rest of us. Smoking and drinking, acting cool. They started treating him like a fool. Then he stayed on his own for most of the time. Dreaming dreams of a life of crime. In and out of trouble, he cheated a life. But who'd have thought he joined the other side? He's in the right. Thank you so much to Hannah for giving up her time to talk to me. Uh, I really enjoyed that chat. You can check out And Outcome the Boobs collection by going to www.andoutcometheboobs.com or follow Hannah and April on Instagram at And Outcome the Boobs. Really quite hard to say. I would also like to pass on my thanks to Matt and all the good people at Weekend Defender Records for sponsoring this episode. Make sure you go check out the bands on that label. And find some new jams. There's a link to uh, the label in the episode description of this podcast. If you would like to sponsor an episode of the podcast for free, you can do that by emailing punksinpubs at gmail.com. 
Use that same email address if you would like some Punks in Pub stickers. They're going for a pound each, so hit us up on the email address. The same email address would be our PayPal account as well, so you can pay via that. Right, good people, I'm out. Thank you for listening. Please don't put bleach anywhere near your body. It won't kill COVID-19, but it will kill you. The fucking times we live in, eh? Uh, Hang in there. You're doing okay. Till next time, be well. Yeah, right